This is Americana Podcast, the 51st state. Okay, y'all, we need to talk about something. At first, we only heard about it in whispers or read it in the occasional citation or maybe saw a comic in the New Yorker about it. But now it's been going on for a while and we can no longer ignore the elephant in the room. Bluegrass is considered cool now. I know, I'd like to say I'm surprised, but I'm really not. Bluegrass music has a rich and vibrant history dating back to the early 20th century. It's a genre that encapsulates regional identity, creative freedom, and advanced musical ability, all the while nurturing a vibrant base of music lovers and players through its natural communal education. So many players in bluegrass come up in the scene by learning to play standard bluegrass tunes from those around them. Friends, family, neighbors, local bluegrass festivals, and the number of the iterations of those same songs they learn to play are exponential. What it was lacking for a while was a new take, new chapters, new songs being added to the bluegrass biblical canon. And don't get me wrong, every genre has its purists, but the key word in that sentence is was. In recent years, we have seen not only a growing acceptance, but a growing desire for bluegrass music on a massive commercial scale. Albums by long-standing artists such as The Steel Drivers and Ricky Skaggs are now in the same section as artists like Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers, etc., Out of this heartland happening springs forth our guest today, the one and only Billy Strings. Billy Strings, a Grammy award-winning wunderkind, initially hails from rural central Michigan, but currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee. Strings took to music early on and learned to play bluegrass from and with his father, going as far as to mimic the way his dad's hands looked on a guitar in order to obtain similar stylings. Up until about his teens, Strings would play bluegrass with his dad and his dad's friends, finding inspiration in the music of artists like Doc Watson, David Grissom, and Earl Scruggs. In order to play with musicians his own age, Strings turned to rock and metal and cites groups like Black Sabbath and the Grateful Dead as part of his upbringing. These early experiences with metal in particular would later shape Strings' approaches to music, bringing an insane energy that is uncommon in Roots music performance. Billy Strings began playing full-time around 2012 and in 2017 was listed as one of Rolling Stone's top 10 country artists to know. Although he had two records prior, Strings made waves with the release of his album Turmoil and Tinfoil, which came out in 2017, and then followed up with that same string-centered, rip-roaring energy with the release of his album Home in 2019. Billy Strings' music is bluegrass and beyond. His lyrics reflect a critical understanding of the skill and the power of songwriting. His songs often take the time to comment on personal happenings, his concerns regarding economic and ecological disruptions, and just general musings on life itself, all amplified by the immaculate production style of the records overall. There are moments within Billy Strings' catalog that arguably border on soundscape due to the inclusion of complicated chromaticisms and lingering sonic intricacies that are hard to pin down, but they make the records an experience. I know you just heard me tell you a whole paragraph about his work, but trying to describe exactly how good Billy Strings is, it's ineffable. I know it's a really weird year and live streams aren't exactly the same as seeing live performances, but Billy Strings has been doing several shows through Nugs.com, and his latest will be streaming from the ACL Moody Live this Friday on March 26th. You can find all the information on his website, and I would highly recommend it. The ones that I've seen, amazing. So join us today as our host Robert Earl Keane speaks with Billy Strings about learning to play, the skill of songwriting, and looking up Americana music in the interview. I'm your producer, Clara Rose, and this is Americana Podcast, the 51st State. Maybe I could 
to break this down Turn around and face the day Maybe I could slip away Hello, everyone. This is Robert Earl Keen, and you're listening to Americana Podcast. Today, we are talking with guitar phenom and bluegrass monster, uh, Billy Strings, uh, ladies and gentlemen. So, really happy to have you here, Billy. How are you today? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, th- thank you. Oh, this is a this is especially exciting for me. I, I uh, um, you know. Play, enjoyed playing and listening to bluegrass for a long, long, long time. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the whole genre, and uh, it's good to talk to somebody who is definitely a real player and uh, puts together records the way I think you know bluegrass records should sound these days for sure. Oh, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, so so you're living in Nashville now, is that right? Yeah, yeah, right over here in East Nashville. Uh huh. For like uh, what, like the last four years or something? Uh, five years now. Five years, no kidding. So I I, I understand uh, uh, you were testing the traffic laws with uh, Vince Herman not too long ago. <laughs> well, I had to squeeze the mustard a little bit, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> I had my bass boat behind me. I didn't want to try to stop, you know, at the red light. So I just kept going, and that's when we saw the cherries and berries back there. Wow. Well, so you so you got stopped then, right? Yeah, we did, but it all turned out okay. Yeah. And I, I wrote a little song about it too, like a, a talking blues song. Uh huh. <laughs> it, it's great. I, I, eventually, I'm going to put that out so people can hear, you know, the real story of what actually happened that day. But basically, me and Vince were going to go fishing out at Dale Hollow Lake to try to catch mm-hmm. some smallmouth, and got pulled over and uh, smelled like weed. And mm-hmm. you know, I gave Mister Officer Looper my dope and. <laughs> And, uh, but it all turned out okay. I didn't get in any trouble or anything like that. So, so, uh, we actually still ended up going fishing that day, but I learned a lesson in only breaking one law at a time. <laughs> Best to do that. I would certainly say, um, I, I understand you just did, uh, five nights at the Capitol theater in Port Chester, uh, New York. Is that right? Was it five or six? I think five, it might have been six. Six, six nights. Six yeah. nights. In, and I understand it's sort of an echo or a recreation of a Grateful Dead show from February 1971. Is that that there too as well? Yeah. You know, they did they did these shows back then. And they played there, you know, quite a few times. And, and it seems that place is kind of, I mean, it's an intimate place and really sweet. And it sounds really amazing in there. So, so um, yeah, they used to put on some real bangers there, I guess. And, and this, these six shows, they did this weird ESP project where they tried to, um, you know, have other fans who were like, you know, tapped in on acid and all sorts of crazy shit. And they were trying to send images through the ether to people who were, you know, in totally asleep over, you know, across the big pond. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, yeah, so so that's just a really interesting thing. Those guys were really experimenting with consciousness, and and um, we 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 all love the band. You know, everybody in my band and on the crew and everything. We all love the Grateful Dead. So we just want to say thank you to them and kind of give them a little nod and try to recreate, not really recreate, but just you know give them a little nod and also. It was also it's a really interesting thing to do right now because of the the ESP um, thing. It's like you know we're all kind of stuck at home right now, or we we can't be there together in concerts. I mean, there was nobody there at the Capitol, but we were all trying to kind of be there together consciously. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, you gathered a, a pretty large group of uh, deadheads that were not as aware of you as as a lot of the rest of the uh, music people around uh you mean like at the cap or just in general no no in general oh yeah yeah well it's you know we we get into that same sort of musical territory you know like improvisational kind of nobody knows what the hell's going on and somebody just starts leading the way and you know it's like um 
it's really risky music, uh, like, you know, mm -hmm. vulnerable and to be up there and, and playing stuff that's not really rehearsed. But sometimes because you're on the spot, you come up with some really cool shit. And then all of a sudden the whole band is vamping on this cool thing we just came up with. And it's like, hell yeah. All right. Now we're jamming and the crowds in on it, in on it too. You know, they, they uh, are super involved. They, I think have as much to do with it as we do. Sometimes I think like we can only play as good as the audience that night. Um, but, but it's a really fun thing to try to do even just with my boys, you know, like at the streaming things when there was nobody there, it's, uh, right. Just close your eyes and get lost in the music and try to navigate through some, some sort of whatever it is, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, so before uh, we get into uh, the nuts and bolts of your background, I haven't, I have an awareness question. I was just curious if, uh, you might be aware of this. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's born October 3rd, 1954, and you're born October 3rd, 1992, and Stevie Ray left us uh, uh, when he was 38 years old, and you were born 38 years later, so I was oh, curious wow. if you were aware of that at all. No. Yeah. Yeah, so. Um, no, I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was born on October 3rd, but I didn't know it was that uh, when I was born, it was... Uh, 38 years later that's kind of mm. wow what a trip mm -hmm. i thought so so um let's talk about uh, your background a little bit you started playing when you were a young age and uh with your your dad your stepdad is that right terry barber that's right yeah, yeah. and i i'd call him my dad you know okay. he he uh he raised me and taught me everything i know and he taught me a lot about you know music and stuff but um he stepped in when i was about two years old really Yes, sir. And, uh, but my, you know, my biological father too, his side of the family, uh, they're, they were also musical as well. So, you know, it kind of comes, comes natural. Um, and I was, you know, I was very lucky to have my dad to stick a guitar in my hands when I was a little kid mm -hmm. and I really wanted it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I really wanted to pick with them guys because it was just a, it was just like the way of life, you know, there was my mom and dad would have, you know, a buddy would come over and smoke a joint and the guitars would come out and they'd start picking some tunes. And, mm -hmm. and that was my house, you know, it was, and sometimes there'd be these <clears throat> bigger parties and it was fun. And so, uh, your dad ne never played professionally. I, I keep running across that. It, it makes, it's very specific about he was not a professional musician. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say he was ever like out touring on the road. <clears throat> he okay. played some, he played some bar gigs back in his day, I would say. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, he never went on tour or anything like that. I think he's definitely a professional level musician. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, he's a badass. He mm -hmm. he's one of the best. I mean, he is the best to me. He's no one can touch him. He's he's amazing, and that's where I learned from. Man, is 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 him. And so yeah, when I was little. You know, he at first I had this little plastic guitar when I was like three years old or whatever, sitting in my high chair. And I used to pick on that like I had a little guitar pick and I would just scratch on the plastic of it and play along. And um, and then when I was about four, we were walking to through this antique shop. And I saw this guitar up in there and it was like the light was shining down on it, man. It was it was like I, I need this thing. And. And we didn't have, you know, a lot of money or nothing. And my dad spent his last little $30 that he had on that guitar. And because uh, I threw a fit about it. And man, he took it. He took me home and showed me G, C, and D. Mm -hmm. Gave me a capo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and by the next year, I was playing, lost all my money, but a $2 bill. Wow. Yeah, man. Man, oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, and Beaumont Rag and Salt Creek and, you know, mm -hmm. How Mountain Girls Can Love. And um, and how old were you then, Billy? I'd say I was about seven by the time I really started to really grasp it and, and play. Mm -hmm. I was my dad's rhythm player. Yeah. I on, And I, you know, that really helped me with my music. Like, I only played uh, rhythm for a very long time. 
And it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't until I was like, you know, a teenager or something that I tried to start taking like breaks on like a fiddle tune. Um, so I just played, you know, rhythm. Right. And, and I learned how two guitars can sound really cool if, you know, if I'm playing an open A and my dad's playing capoed on the second fret in a G position and playing both guitars like that really opens up the sound and, uh, you know, just interesting, that Doc and Merle stuff, you know. Darling, if you walk beside me, I will be a steady hand. If you need a rock to stand on, honey, I will be your man. When you played with him, did you did you play any other types of music other than bluegrass um, given that you know a lot of old country songs are basically crossover pretty much yeah um there was definitely some of those you know john like there was this old bird we used to pick with uh he he basically lived on the river we his name was catfish mm-hmm. it, but it, <laughs> his his real name was danny gray though but he was a cat fisherman and he he'd sit down there on the Maple River and get them big old flatheads and stuff. But he mm-hmm. had a he had a deep voice and he could sing like you know Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. And so I did learn you know I walk the line and and stuff like that whenever uh, he would sing it. And then uh, oh okay so it was like well I never felt more like singing the blues because I never thought that I'd ever lose your love dear. You know that song? Yes, I yeah man. So stuff like that, man. Good old classics, you know. I mean, there was a even like Everly Brothers stuff, mm-hmm. and then you know a lot of. So there's all this. I mean, man, my dad was born in '55, mm-hmm. so he likes everything from Buddy Holly, to you know Hendrix, you know, and and right. and he also was really like raised on a lot of bluegrass, Bill Monroe. Doc Watson, Flat and Scruggs, and he, he, you know, he loved Larry Sparks and Jimmy Martin and all those guys and, and uh, passed that on to me. I feel, you know, the other day I was talking to Brian Sutton. I was just texting him and it was on Doc's birthday and he said, happy Doc Day. And I said, man, I feel just so lucky to even just be in the know about his music and his, you know. I feel so lucky to be one of the people that knows about Doc Watson. Not only that, it reminds me of my childhood. You know, have you I, ever played one of those Gallagher guitars? Yeah, I sure have. They're yeah. dang good, man. Uh, are they still around, or they don't make them anymore? I don't see them very often. Yeah, they're still making them. I believe uh, Don Gallagher's, you know, his son or somebody took over, and they're still right. they're still cranking them out. Right down here, I think still. I don't know if they're still in Wartress, uh, Tennessee, but. Um, they're somewhere right here. Right. I, I, I love the, 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 the depth and then of, of Doc's voice and the resonance in it, you know, I always oh, love that. Gosh. Yeah. He could, he could just do anything and he could also yodel like a, you know, mm-hmm. and he could, yeah, but I, I know what you mean when he sang that deep baritone, it's, mm-hmm. and he sang it so straightforward, you know, and just, right. There wasn't like a lot of vibrato or nothing. It was just good, clean melody. Same way with his picking, man. It was just like a mountain stream. It was just crystal clear. So, honey, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm taking this old train for a long ride. I'm gonna stay a long time. So uh, when you, you got older, you, you moved into metal music to just sort of branch out or <laughs> yeah. so, socialize with people your age? Uh, exactly. Yeah, I was like in middle school. And, you know, by that time, I had I had an electric guitar. My dad bought me a little Strat and a pig nose amp, and I started learning, you know, Led Zeppelin and Hendrix and Black Sabbath and stuff. And then, I, you know, I started playing a lot more electric guitar because my brother had a drum set, too. 
So, um, when I was in middle school, like, I didn't necessarily go around telling everybody I played bluegrass. You know, I wasn't embarrassed, but I, it was just like something that I did with my dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that I did around the house and that it was like, it was like me and my dad's thing, like, like going fishing or something, you know, like, right. It was just like, um, but there came a point where I just wanted to play music with people that were my age because I, I had only played music with like my dad and, and his older friends. You know, I was a kid in middle school and these guys are all in their forties and, you know, forties and fifties and, you know, and I'm like, well, shit, I want to play somebody with music, you know, with people who are 13 and 14 like me, you know, and, the, and that are into the same stuff, skateboarding and, you know, video games and shit. Like, I always got along with older people because I played bluegrass, you know what I mean? Right, like, yeah. Like, even when I was a little kid, I feel like all the old people really liked me or whatever because I could sing, you know, Blue Moon of Kentucky. Right. And, um. But that was, it was cool, you know, it was like, I liked that, you know, back then, especially when I was a little boy, like I used to just dress just like my dad and shit, man. If he wore a ball cap, I wore a ball cap and he wore Levi's, I wore Levi's too. And, <laughs> you know, and, and man, I used to watch him play the way that I learned how to uh, play guitar is just, I used to just stare at his hands. Like if you look at my right hand nowadays, the way that I hold my pick. It's exactly like my dad does. And I have a picture of me just staring right at his right hand when I was little. And I remember looking at his hand and then looking at mine and then going, okay, well, he holds his three fingers out like this, you mm -hmm. know, and, and he holds his pick like that. And I, okay. And I just look at dad's hands and then look at mine and make your hands look like his, you know? <laughs> And that's how I learned it, just sitting there picking with him and stuff. And man, but he turned me on to all sorts of shit when I was young, you know, like uh, he turned me on to David Grisman when I was like seven years old. I'll never forget it, you know, because he sat me down because I already knew about Doc Watson, but he sat me down and was like, son, you need to know this. This is David Grisman, you know, and and I was like, sweet, you know, it's mm -hmm. badass. But he did the same thing with Black Sabbath, man. And that was a trip because, right. you know. It was like when I was finally old enough to him and he, he sat me down and was like, okay, this is Black Sabbath. And he turned on that first record. He, you know, he put the old record on and he turned it way up. Mm -hmm. He had this big old stereo and he's like, what is this that stands before me? All this crazy, you know, talking about Satan and this figure in black, which points at me and eyes of fire and the bells and the thunder. And it was just like, I was terrified, man. It, it like traumatized me or something, but I was also... I was also totally infatuated at the same time, just like the Wolfman. When I was a little kid, I fucking loved the Wolfman. <laughs> Dude, I like, you know, Lon Chaney Jr. Like it was, yeah. you know, I, 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 ha I was so scared because I knew he was out there in the woods. Mm -hmm. I spent like on a full moon. Like if we were taking a ride in the car and it was dark and it, I'm looking out and there's trees. I'm like, Oh my God, there's, those are wolf trees. Like, He's out there, you know, <laughs> and I knew he was real. Um, but, but yeah, dude, like I was terrified of it, but I also couldn't stop. I, I held this little Wolfman figurine in my hand for like, like a whole year. Like I, like this little toy, you know, I just loved the Wolfman and, and those old monster movies, you know? So, um, I'm thinking of a long forgotten dream. Does that, does some of the, those thoughts play into that song there? Yeah, yeah, and that one's kind of, I honestly don't know what I was thinking when I wrote that shit, but you know where I was when I wrote it? I was in Austin. Wow. Yeah, and we were at an Airbnb, and it was during South By, and I was in mm -hmm. some sort of crazy mood, man. Mm -hmm. And I just had to step out back, and I started, it just came to me. and um, But yeah, I just, that one I think is almost like, I don't know what I was trying to do really. It's like. It's like angry about like, mm -hmm. about like maybe like environmental shit. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like, like you, you need to pay attention, you know, you mm -hmm. need to wake, like, or we need to do something different. Like, cause mm -hmm. it used to, you know, like, yeah, well, it certainly has a scary spirit like quality to it, you know? Yeah. 
and, and how you uh, how you recorded it and all. I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. The way that was. Can you see the empty chambers of your head begin to spin? Leaving nothing but the cavity for all the living skin. Would you settle for the empty space within? Just kick and scream for something else to carry your thoughts in. One foot before the other, and let's begin. Uh, I, so, uh, Billy, our producer, Clara Rose, has said a few times that uh, bluegrass and metal are actually similar genres in that they're both community-driven, um, you know, and maybe, and then you've said uh, there are similarities between the mandolin and electric guitar. Uh, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, so in metal, one of the things that I did on the electric guitar definitely was tremolo, like play tremolo just really fast. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's definitely like a Bill Monroe thing, like on the mandolin. Right. Uh, um, but just the speed and energy of it, you know, to me, like when I hear like a hardcore Foggy Mountain breakdown, you know, it almost does the same thing for me as like some Slayer song or something. Where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's just like heavy, fast, awesome, freaking badass, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, but I'll, I'll tell you this, man. One day I was at my house and I was just sitting around one day and like ate a mushroom or something. And I I had my YouTube channel on and I was watching. I watched live performances of The Doors, you know, Jim Morrison doing his thing. Mm-hmm. I watched a bunch of Hendrix. I watched like Led Zeppelin. I watched, uh, you know all this old awesome rock and roll and then i like went and did something for a little while and somehow when i came back my youtube had made its way back to train 45 bill monroe and wow. and kenny baker mm-hmm. wow. and, and that shit rocked harder than any of the stuff i was listening to <laughs> It, it did. It, yeah. it it rocked harder. Mm-hmm. It was like they were playing, you know, more badass. <laughs> it was just like those guys are playing the shit out of their instruments, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and and Bill's singing up high, uh-huh. and you know, twin fiddles and just raging tempos. It uh-huh. was like okay, I might even rather see this than Jim Morrison up there talking about three eyed snakes and shit, you know. Uh huh. Right, right, <laughs> and and I, I read that um uh, you, you said that um that, you know bluegrass bluegrass put the you know the music part of your uh life together and and that metal brought the performance part to it and that when you step on stage you you sort of bring that energy like you just said you're talking about Kenny Baker and Bill Monroe and or or any metal band that you you just feel like that's a big part of performing and that um. But that puts uh well it's, you know, it's a weird thing. out there makes a statement immediately i guess yeah it's a weird thing because like in bluegrass the guys just stand there but they play so amazingly mm-hmm. and when i was in a metal band we would jump all over the stage and climb the walls and headbang and spit on people and jump into the crowd and, <laughs> you know, all sorts of shit. And our guitars weren't even in tune. I mean, it's probably sounded horrible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yes. but we were entertaining the folks cause we were getting all rowdy mm-hmm. and, and yeah, I feel like there's a, there's definitely a line there where it's like, Sometimes I have to reel that in even because it'll take away from, you know, my guitar playing will suffer. Right. If I get too into it, you know, uh, like that, but I can't help it sometimes. Like I, you know, I'll just go up to the front of the stage and rock out with the people and stuff because, you know, we're performing. You got to put on a performance for the, for the people, man. Something happens when I walk on stage. It's like, all right, let's go. Like, let's just run it. Let's fucking, let's rave. I'd love to show you that you wouldn't go I'd love to take you, but I know the way you roll You see it your way, I see it your way 
We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our interview shortly. At Americana Podcast, it is our goal to define and expand on the genre of Americana music as much as possible. With help from our skilled seer and archival explorer, Will Vote, this is Will's Pick. Greg Trooper, all the way to Amsterdam from the album Incident on Willow Street. Americana Music lost a very talented musician when Greg Trooper died of cancer in 2017. Although diminutive in physical stature, Trooper had a big heart, a big voice, and was an excellent songwriter. His musical talent is showcased on the 13 records he released in his lifetime. Extensive touring in the U.S. and Europe garnered many fans who recognized his gift as a songwriter and as a performer. He was also well known for his onstage wit and his humorous lead-ins to many of his most popular songs. Trooper's songs are populated with life struggles of the common man and the twists and turns of the ways of the heart. Born in New Jersey, Trooper got his first taste of popular music in the folk clubs of Greenwich Village in the early 1970s. Moving to Austin and then Lawrence, Kansas, where he attended University of Kansas, he refined his style and found his early voice as a singer-songwriter. The 1980s found him back in New York, where he formed the Greg Trooper Band, which included Larry Campbell, who later played in Bob Dylan's band for seven years. The band recorded two albums that were well-received. Around that time, Trooper's music found its way to the ears of Steve Earle, and he included Trooper's Little Sister on his Copperhead Road release. By the 1990s, Trooper was living in Nashville and working on a solo career. He made a record called Noises in the Hallway, which was produced by E Street Band bassist Gary Talent and got favorable notice in the music press. In the 2000s, Trooper recorded a number of great albums, including Help Me Make It Through This World, which was produced by the legendary Dan Penn. Will Vogt's first exposure to Trooper's music came when he heard the song Hummingbird on a satellite radio. The rocking track, which is a playful remembrance of his father's guitar, is the kind of song you want to hear on the radio, and immediately pulled to the side of the road to write down the title. Although that was a finalist for this episode's pick, Will's pick has to be Trooper's final studio album, Incident on Willow Street, and is all the way to Amsterdam. Trooper's song of a young girl's dreams of escaping Texas and an abusive father to skate the canals of Amsterdam is a wonderful lyric creation. She dreams about it every night. She sets her sights and makes her plan. One day she'll live to escape her plight and skate all the way to Amsterdam. skate all the way to Amsterdam One day she'll lace the of time And skate all the way to Amsterdam Skate all the way Talk to you about um, writing now, Billy. It's okay. Um, at, at, at first, you I, I, obviously, but you started writing by yourself and uh, wrote songs. When was it that you felt like? I mean, how many songs did you write before you felt like you kind of had a, a knack for it? Um, man, I think Dustin the Baggy was only a couple. It was like the third or second song I wrote, you know, really, but, uh, it didn't really come. That didn't really come as easy as just like playing the music, you know, and I was in bands where I helped with the music part, but writing lyrics was a whole different story. Uh huh. And I actually wrote my first song when I was 16 and I was coming down off something. Right. And I was in this weird headspace and I just sat, the pen just hit the paper and it didn't lift up until the song was done. But, that song's not much to speak of, but but I did write my first song. And then after that, honestly, geez, maybe Dustin the Baggy was the next song after that. I don't know, right. man. And that just happened when I was at work. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, like, working in a hotel, and I, I just had my little notepad on me, you know? And, right. And it was, you know, it's a true story about a buddy of mine who – he was a banjo picking friend of mine, man. He w- ended up in jail for all that speed and shit. And, and I wrote a song about him, but that just all happened in about a half hour at work. And when I when I went home that day, I played the song and it was like, okay, I got it pretty much. And it was just a little song that I played around at, you know, house parties and just to my buddies, like in the living room or whatever. Right. Um, But that song is like... I don't think I'll ever achieve that again. Uh huh. You know what I mean? And it might be the first song I ever, like maybe the second song I ever wrote, but might be one of the best too. To me, I mean, 
shit, I wish I could come up with another song like that. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing when I wrote it. And I think, uh, you know, I think young people write some of the best stuff, like, 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 you know, teenagers and stuff, the headspace that they're in. Maybe um, later on in life, I'll get into another cool headspace or something, you right. know, or maybe later on this year. Or this, maybe even <laughs> later on today. <laughs> well, do you find like um, you know a lot of the good songs do come pretty easily that when when you write yeah. one that they kind of fall out and then you know the ones that you chisel on a long time as much as you can love them they don't quite work as well sometimes. Well, maybe maybe they will work, but you mm -hmm. have to work harder for them. Right. But then the ones that just fall out, they're just so plain and good mm -hmm. you know because they just fell out like that it was natural and right. and there's something to be said there you know it, it's right. about just putting it down you know it's almost like those like those drawings where you just put the you know the pencil down and you make your entire drawing you don't lift up or something right um but but yeah, some of the best ones I think have just kind of popped out and it's like, wow, you know, we started writing this song an hour ago and now it's it's done and and holy smokes, that's cool. You write with other people now. I read. I love this part, Billy. Is where you said that you know you work on the you know the the craft of songwriting as if you know it's a skill. Being like I would I would make this distinction that you know a skill can continually be learned and improved. Where you know just raw talent is you know raw talent, and and I like the whole idea that you know you you think of it as like something that you can just keep working on and keep getting better at. I mean it's you know, from what I've read anyway. So, you know, what is your co-write experience like? Um, I've had a really good time with it. Like ever since I moved to Nashville, um, I, I've been writing with John Weisberger and uh, my friend Aaron Allen. He's actually back up in Michigan, but, but there's people down here that are doing that. And I noticed that right away when I moved to town, everybody's writing together. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, okay, I got to get in on that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So I started doing it and I've, I found, you know, it's a compatibility thing. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely have to, to have like compatibility with the person I've sat down with people that it just didn't work. Uh, yeah. So your favorite other than John and Aaron, uh, the, the other favorite co-writers that you like to write with? Well, I wrote one or two with Steve Poltz. Mm-hmm. He's really cool. Uh, That's yeah. the one who did the jewel thing. Is that what I'm talking about? Yeah, that, that's yeah. him. Yeah, right? yeah, Steve Pulse. He's awesome. Yeah, yeah he, he's got some. He's got some good. Uh, got some good good stage patter, I'd say. Oh yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's the best man. He's a nut. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote one with Ronnie Bowman the other day, which, uh -huh. um, you know, love right. him and, uh, yeah, just anyone who wants to write. Really, I mean, I'm just I'm always trying to collect songs. So right. So I'm down for whatever but but i really enjoy writing with john weisberger and aaron allen i think that's right the three of us make a nice little team um this new record that we got coming out a few of the songs i wrote with my band with jared walker royal massat and billy failing right and you wrote uh jared you wrote um what everything's the same with jared is that yeah right? i have that right yeah, I mean, that was his... I, lo I like that little song. That's a cool song. Yeah, well, that was his tune that he kind of had halfway done, and he brought it, and mm -hmm. I helped, you know, I just helped him finish it. Right. Um, But yeah, then we got Flux on there, and he glued it all together. Yeah, yeah, nice. <laughs> Not, no, really, really great, great, great. I, I, I had uh, Jerry Douglas play a record, uh, you know, back in the late 20th century with me, and um, all I remember thinking was watching him play... And thinking, 
I just would like to know what it would be like to play like that for one hour, just so I'd have that memory. <laughs> I know. But, you know, the memory of just watching him play was enough. So, uh, you know, and the, the stuff that he does on your record is really, really cool, really, really, uh, you know, warm and tasteful is great. Yeah, well, that the other song that he's on is Love Like Me, and that's one of the uh, mm -hmm. songs like we were talking about that just comes out, and it's simple. And to me, that's one of the best ones I've ever written yet. Me and John mm -hmm. have ever written yet. Um, I love stuff like that. Like, to me, some of the strongest shit is like, you know, like the Stanley Brothers, it takes a worried man to sing a worried song. You mentioned Love Like Me, is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like a standard, you know? It's really like one that will stand the test of time. Yeah, man, it seems like... Uh, Dust in the baggie has already kind of made its way into like some jam circles and stuff, which is really that is, you know, there's a lot of amazing things. And I think one of the biggest rewards is, you know, when when somebody tells me that my music helps them in some way. Right. But to see like younger kids like sitting around at a, you know, at a camper sitting there playing dust in the baggie, like, man, that. Mm -hmm. that makes me like tear up or something. It's just like, what, you know, right. Holy shit. I mean, these younger dudes are playing my song and that's wild, you know, Uh, so, um, what are some of your favorite bluegrass festivals to perform at? Uh, we only got to do Telluride once, but uh, man, I want to go back to that and stay all weekend and then some. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, we've we've done Gray Fox quite a number of years, and I've done a residency there, um, uh -huh. where I played like I just like sat in with everyone, right. It was awesome. It was yeah. also like really, I was like really, really tired. But And did you go to bluegrass festivals when you were a kid with your dad? Uh, I went to a couple for sure. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like Charlotte Bluegrass Festival right. in, in Michigan. And uh, there was also the WMBMA, the West Michigan Bluegrass Music Association. And they had a little fall fest, which is just over in, Lowell, Michigan, about 25 minutes from our house. So we we would go over there. But the festivals that I went to when I was a kid were 300 people maybe and, uh, you know, yeah. a bunch of old people in their campers and stuff. And nobody even went to the stage. Everybody's just out in the campground picking. I mean, well, we that's, went, that's part of it. I mean, really, isn't it? I mean, that's. I mean, to us, it was the main yeah. part. We didn't even see the bands. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we didn't like. I, I never made it to the stage to see music. I just went there to pick, you know? Right. And, and um, so when it wasn't until later that I realized that Telluride and, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that exists, you know, I right. didn't even, I had no idea to me. I thought, okay, bluegrass is just a small kind of music, you know, until I learned about, you know, string cheese incident mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> these bands who are playing at Red Rocks and stuff, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, hey, they're playing flat picking guitar. That's what I do. I want to play in front of ten thousand people, right? You know, mm -hmm. wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 the whole uh, the whole campground experience uh, in the world of bluegrass, I think, is, is it, it, like you said, as much uh, as much a part of the you know great experience as as the stage experience is. It's just cool, you know. Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, that's how I cut my teeth and really got good is because I we'd play all night long until our fingers were done, you know. Right. And 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 everybody's just calling out tunes, and a lot of a lot of them you don't know, so you just got to hang on. And then it's like, okay, after doing that a couple times, now I know that tune. Next time somebody calls it, I got that.
to ask you about a couple specifically about a couple of songs or just make uh, make a comment even even billy um I, I taking water is just uh i i really like the whole metaphor i love the melody um and it's really solid can you can you fill me in on that one well i think it's about like kind of where i grew up man and mm -hmm. and and not just where i grew up but just small town america in general mm -hmm. i think like you know i want to say it's about flint uh-huh um kind of just forgot it's about detroit you know abandoned forgotten entire right. entire neighborhoods that are just run down and completely you know everybody just took off man and, and now like I don't know. And, it, you know, it's like, it seems like there could have been some better way for a lot of that shit to be handled, but I mean, at least the Flint thing, but um, I don't know. I think that's kind of what it was about is like, um, holy shit, you know? <laughs> and, you, and, and you wrote that with uh, John, maybe, I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I, uh, another one that I, I really enjoyed was uh, Freedom. And I, I like the fact that you took a, you know, kind of a gospel, bluegrass gospel format and really didn't make it a, a, a spiritual song. It was more about freedom. Yeah, I thought it was cool. Yeah. And I wrote that one with Lindsay Lou. Do you know Lindsay? Mm -hmm. No, I don't know. Oh, man. You should uh, check her music out. She's I will. really amazing. Well, she's a good friend of mine, so and she lives down here in Nashville too. Right. Um, but we got together one, uh, actually on a winter afternoon in in Nashville, which is weird because you don't get very many of those. I mean, snowy. Right. And uh, just came up with that song. I don't know how. We just kind of kept writing down shit that would rhyme and sound cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what we came up with. Yeah, I really do like that, too, because um, on all my records, you know, we get kind of out there. We put big jams and stuff, and, you know, we get out there. But I like to play a little claw hammer banjo, you know, maybe mm -hmm. put maybe put a little gospel tune on there, like, like you were saying, um, mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that, just to keep it, to make sure there's that little dose of purity. Uh, you know, when it comes to like just good old fashioned bluegrass and traditional music, right? Um, not all just UFO aliens, crazy, uh, you know, leprechauns and mushrooms and shit. <laughs> So, you know, just career-wise, Billy, um, given that, you know, bluegrass today, especially, it's, it's really it's really grown and there's so many more people listening to it. It, uh, it seems to be just it, the popularity. It, it's not, it doesn't have so much stigma as it used to. It's, it's just something that's like great music, enjoyable. Like you say, it has a lot of energy a lot of times. And um, I, um, so, I mean, you've got this thing happening. Uh, how far do you want to go? I, and I'm talking about just full blown, you know, out there in the world of music entertainment. I'd love to uh, have, you know, I'd love to be playing big arena shows with a banjo, you know? Right. right. I think that'd be amazing to be playing, you know, because I'm still going to play a Bill Monroe song even when I'm there. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I listen to a lot of, you know, popular music, you know, I listen to Billie Eilish and Post Malone and stuff like that. And, and, um, I mean, that big, bigger is, right. you know, as big as it can get, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and it's not, I mean, I, I will, yeah, that's my, my goal is to take it as far as it will go. That's always been my goal. My goal, you know, in life is just to, yeah, just to take it as high as I can. You know, every, every time I reach one little, you know, milestone or something, it's just time to step up or, you know, we got to 
write new music or we got to practice more. We got to get better. We got to, you know, we got to step up our production. We got to, you know, it's just got to keep growing. You know, as we're growing, the music has to get better too. And, um, and so, yeah, we're always working our asses off for sure, but, but it's worth it because, you know, like, I don't know. And I'm not all worried about that either. I mean, I would love to go play for 20 people just as much as I'd love to play for, you know, 2,000 or 5,000 or whatever. When I was a little kid, I used to read, you know, Janis Joplin and Hendrix, <laughs> and, uh, Kurt Cobain and Jim Morris and all these, you know, their biographies and stuff. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's always been my, like, dream to, to do that. But, um, when I was like a teenager, I realized that that's not really, or I did at least back then I didn't really think it was even fathom, like I couldn't even fathom fathom that or like it, you know, it wouldn't like that's not going to happen. But mm -hmm. I did realize that you could play music and you know make enough money to pay the bills and keep it going and just keep rocking out and having fun. Right. It sure beats working some crummy job that you kind of don't like. And, <laughs> having somebody pointing their finger in your face and shit telling you what to do you know yes it does i mean yes. shit i'd rather play guitar any day and at the end of the day even if everything goes to shit it's like dude you know we're just playing music man like it's not it's not the end of the world you know Since we are Americana Podcast and we are part of the uh, American Songwriter Podcast Network, um, I, we do like to talk about Americana, uh, specifically the genre Americana, uh, in that um, we want to expand and de define and, and expose Americana to people. So uh, the first question I'd have is, uh, and I'm <laughs> please indulge me, but uh, would you consider yourself Americana? Um. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, most of the time I just say bluegrass, but then there's, there's also that. I mean, well, bluegrass, you just, you know, you don't use effects pedals in bluegrass and, you know, that kind of shit. So, right. uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I'm still sort of unfamiliar on what that term means exactly and i actually just looked it up and it just says a genre of american music having roots in early folk and country music yes i would mm -hmm. say we are americana because we play a lot of early folk and country music you know mm -hmm. for right. sure um mm -hmm. you know stanley brothers all that carter family shit right you know uh, all the dot from the doc watson the north like that whole appalachian area you know absolutely and, right. and then you know, I mean, I guess you could say maybe Americana and then kind of like some kind of form of progressive bluegrass or something, because, you know, if we just say bluegrass, it's not really traditional bluegrass because, you know, let's get real. Like we play like Pearl Jam songs and shit. Right. So, so I don't know. I mean, but it is, though. It's not yeah. it's not not bluegrass. I don't right. know. I don't know. man. I'm like, I'm just like heard so much about this that i don't even know anymore <laughs> right well like okay say t take it outside of you and say who would you consider it really uh, in your own definition of americana who would you consider the quintessential americana artist oh shit man i don't like leave on helm or something i, I mean yeah. i i don't um, know like right. he's the first person that came to mind i guess right but but there's so many great bands i mean I mean, to me, like that could mean anything. Like, I, I'm thinking of my friend Lindsay Lou for one thing. Her band was, you know, kind of a little bit of bluegrass folk, but she sings like a bird, and you know, and it's like that. And I'm also thinking of a band, the Appleseed Collective, where the guitar player kind of is based in a Django thing, mm -hmm. and they have a washboard, and they right. do, you know, they do that kind of almost gypsy jazz thing, but. But again, they're writing their own songs just with that as at the roots. Right. It's not like they're going out. I mean, they might play, 
you know, minor step or something, but, um, or minor swing, but like, uh, you know, for the most part, it's like just, they're doing their own thing, you know, but there's a banjo in the band and shit. Um, which is cool. You know, it's really awesome. But then it's kind of like what we're doing. You know, when we play our original stuff, it is what it is. I don't know what the hell genre it is, but but then, you know, we will play some bluegrass that night. We will play, you know, some Bill Monroe stuff. I haven't seen the sun since it rested on your shoulder while we walked along that vacant riverside. They carried me away to a place where I'll get older If I cannot prove to them you never die Seems like the last time, feels like the first Though I've had bad days, this has to be my worst I'm left thinking of you, dear, while I'm waiting here I wouldn't be talking to, you know, a, a, a bluegrass wizard like yourself without really knowing, you know, what, number one, what, what's your favorite stage guitar? What's your favorite guitar to sit around the house and play songs or write songs on? Um, well, my stage guitar, my main one is a, is a Thompson. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're built out there in sisters, Oregon. Uh, and I have, I think I got four of them, uh, but they're just amazing. You know, they, they build them and real, you know, one at a time and they're just, there's like, you know, six or 10 people in the shop, man. It's just a small little, little business, but Preston, he's no longer with us, Preston Thompson, but he was a really kind guy and he was an amazing luthier, man. He, he really knew what he was doing. And so he started that thing and they kept it going, you know, and he actually gave me the guitar that I'm talking about that I play on stage. It's a Brazilian, uh, dreadnought and. And yeah, I guess it's a Thompson DBA, you know, a dreadnought with Adirondack top. Um, it's amazing. It really, so when we play, I plug in and then we use in-ear monitors and stuff. And that sure. guitar, that guitar just sounds the best, like to me with that setup. Um, and then around the house, I have um, a 1948 D28 that I got. Nice that I got from uh, Brian Sutton and it's that thing's really fun to play acoustically and just sit there with it in your lap and play, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and and it, on top of that, I have a, another Thompson, which is an OM on like an orchestra model. And that's uh Madagascar Rosewood and a spruce top. And that's, I like the little smaller body on that for writing, you know, because if I, if I play the D 28, I'll just sit there and, you know, play it and drool over how good it sounds. I won't get anything. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, um, I, I, I find on the writing world that, uh, it's nice to have one that's just comfortable and feels good, you know, in your hands when you're playing. You know. Yeah. Like I also have this, uh, old like silver tone guitar. Mm -hmm. that's just kind of a piece of junk but i like writing on that too because it's just got some energy that's like mm -hmm. i don't know the way that it sounds it sounds shitty in a good way <laughs> i know the room is empty now i can almost feel you near what am i supposed to do with my afternoon No, I won't see you soon. What can you say to me to ease my heart in pain? Could you send a ray of light to come down and dry the rain again? Uh, so we're going to go with the light, lighter side, Billy. Um, uh, you ready? You ready? Yes, sir. Let's okay. 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 Uh, uh, what, what are some of your little known hobbies? I don't know about little known, but I'm a fisherman. Uh huh. I like bass fishing a whole lot. I got it bad. I yeah. I woke up at four o'clock this morning to go fishing so I could do it before this podcast. Good for you, man. I was gonna say little known ones. I can sew things. Oh, um, I know how to Impressive. run a sewing machine. Whoa, that's pretty yeah. impressive. That comes in handy too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
Uh, what's the last book you read? Um, Bass Strategies by <laughs> by Ke- Kevin Van Dam. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your all time favorite guilty pleasure movie? Guilty pleasure movie. Yeah, given you know being guilty pleasure being something I've had to explain this before. So I, I we're we're you know you wouldn't necessarily want to tell the whole world that. Although I'm trying to get you to tell the whole world that. Okay, well, not a movie, but there's a really cute show called This Is Us. Uh huh. And it's got like Mandy Moore in it, and uh, she's got a little family. And I used to watch that with my girlfriend a bunch, and it was really sweet. Nice. Um, are you a dog person or a cat person? Oh, both. I both? Just, I just love them. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I'm on tour, so like I can't mm-hmm. have an animal, and I. But I mean, I guess I would say maybe a dog person, but mm-hmm. I love cats too. And mm-hmm. I would, you know, I freaking love them. They're sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's I'm funny. a, I'm just an animal person. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, um, uh, I, I think it's always a good reflection on a person when they love animals. Uh, <laughs> w- uh, what venue do you miss the most during this time? Man, it's been so long since I've played a gig. I don't even remember where we used to play, man. <laughs> um, I mean, man, the the spring tour we had lined up was going to be so, super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say I want to play at the Anthem in D.C. again because, yeah. man, it's, yeah, I, I, I do, uh, you know, I miss playing for all those people. And that's a big old place that we played with Green Sky before. And, mm-hmm. um, man. I just, we were supposed to play there on, on spring tour too, and it all got canceled. We were supposed to play at the Fillmore's and, and all sorts of great yeah. stuff. And yeah, it just sucks that it got canceled because we were on a good roll. So we're going to move on to the lightning round. Uh, we're doing the lightning round with Billy Strings here. Billy Strings here on Americana Podcast. My name is Robert O'Keen. Uh, so these are pretty much either or. There's a couple of multiple choice. You ready? Paranoid or Masters of Reality? Um, I'm going to go with Masters of Reality. F-style or A-style mandolin? F-style. Claw hammer or Scruggs style banjo? Uh, Scruggs. Lester Flatt or Bill Monroe? Uh, Big Mon. <laughs> All right. D18 or D28? Well, I got me a D28, so I'm going to say that. All right. Norman Blake or Doc Watson? It's got to be Doc. Doyle Lawson or the seldom seen? I like uh, John Duffy a whole lot. and his uh-huh. cool, I like his cool pants, too. Yeah, <laughs> they just put out. A, they, they have a biography out on him. I just someone gave me a copy of the biography on. Him. Oh wow! I'll have to check. I check that out, man. Pretty good. CBGBs or Tootsie's Orchid Lounge? Uh, I've never been to CBGBs, uh-huh. so, so I'm gonna say that because it sounds cool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, this is a multiple choice. Peter Rowan's nickname is Peter the Great. Rowan, your boat ashore. Pedro Rojo or Oscar Alonso. <laughs> oh, all of the above, man. <laughs> Pretty much catches it. Uh, Steppenwolf for the zombies. Uh, Steppenwolf. All right. Judas Priest or Black Sabbath? Sabbath. All right. Bluegrass, the bluegrass sound is most frequently described as Appalachian music, rural reggae, high and lonesome, or smoky mountain smooth jazz. Smoky Mountain Smooth Jazz. Always. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. Turn around, turn around or modulation? Uh turn around. All right. Uh okay, so this is a this is a just a your personal choice. Um would you rather have a spoon player at a bluegrass jam session or a meet and greet? 
I'd rather have him at the meet and greet. <laughs> that would work. I could yeah. go. I could go with so, that. Yeah. yeah. So at least then I'm not trying to keep time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, last question. We we're always looking for a better name for the beautiful organ instrument known as the B3. We think it's too military sounding, too just not sexy, not warm, not happy. So uh, you have a you have a contribution to what you might think the B3 should be called now? I'm just going to call it the Kilo. Nice. I like that. I like that. All right. Well, we've been visiting with Billy Strings here on Americana Podcast. I'm your host Robert Earl Keane and uh, this is being produced by Clara Rose and uh, we sure want to thank you Billy we I really enjoyed talking to you it got it just is uh, enlightening and fun and uh, man I wish you all the best in the world and I hope to see you play sometime soon so uh, let's all get well and safe and get playing again right on man thank you so much for having me and I hope to see you out there as well my pleasure all right thanks a lot Billy At Americana Podcast, we would like to thank our host, Robert Earl Keane, our sound tech, Austin Thomas, Bill Orner at Hank and Ed, Allison Dale, and Asia Goodman-Trebbing at Saxon Co. Nashville. Americana Podcast is brought to you by Keane Productions and American Songwriter. Produced and edited by Clara Rose, with original music by Kim Warner. Until next time, let the music play. (laughs) 